words have always played a part in Jennifer Longo's life, giving them voice as an actress, writing her own plays, and finally, as a novelist. Telling stories, because that's what makes us all connected as people, is our, our stories. Her third novel, What I Carry, follows the story of Muriel, who after 17 years and 20 placements, is ready to leave the foster care system, no strings attached. The, the, the narrative about what it is to be a kid in foster care is controlled by adults, and there are lies that people believe. People think kids are in foster care because they did something wrong. This book helps put that misconception to rest. We are thrilled to have former foster parent and co-founder of SafetyNet, Molly Allen, lead our conversation tonight. Please welcome both to the Northwest Passages virtual stage. now and I, I'm very excited to meet you and I want to dive right into how you came to explore this topic because yeah I am a former foster mom but I also did adopt my son when he was 10 out of the foster care system so I'm fascinated uh, by what brought the, you to this topic. It is so nice to see you in person, by the way, before I start, I just want to say briefly, we need a whole separate interview because I've been reading about safety net all day and I need to interview yeah. you because I'm completely oh, yeah. obsessed okay. at this point. It's amazing. Okay. Thank you. I feel like we came to these things in a similar fashion. Like the reason that you started safety net was this was how I came to write this book. You know, we have these kids who we meet in foster care and we foster them and we become their parents. And as my, as my daughter grew up, you know, everybody likes, she's a big reader and readers always love to see themselves in books. Yeah. And there are some really beautiful books about foster care, but, but you know, there's 500,000 kids in America in foster care. There's 500,000 different stories of a different life. And there weren't a lot of books that sort of spoke to her about her experience, you know, her life and care. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the books are adult centered and not a lot about the kids experience and a lot of them are framing the kids as troubled or they did something wrong and she just wanted a book about a kid who's living a life and maybe aging out and her life is just a kid and she happens to be living in foster care and it's different and it's you know it's unique there are not houses being burned down kids aren't being molested every single day like there are many different yeah. experiences in foster care and so there's is there I think there's room for a lot of different stories and this was it I wrote it for her she asked me to write it and I did and I'm really so grateful that I got the chance to tell me about her path because I don't know what was her story uh and and so yeah she was really young we met her when she was a year old and we fostered her until she was three, we adopted her when she was three. So she wasn't, um, you know, your son was 10, so she doesn't have a lot of cognizant memory of it, but it is, you know, as you know, this is, it's, it's a, a beginning that she's aware of. This is a traumatic thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's been different. You know, when you are a kid who has been adopted, you have different stories than the kids that are your friends who have not been adopted. And it's, there's all different kinds of adoption. There's different kinds of life and care. 
So that was her story. She was very young. Something that struck me a lot is that Muriel does not want to be adopted. And she's just looking to this mark. And, and it is a rare story that from cradle to aging out, she's un, not adopted. It's, it's not unheard of, but for somebody who doesn't have any special needs, who is developing at a completely, you know, normal rate, whatever, um, mm -hmm. that she talks about being adopted as it's a, almost a bad thing because what it's going to do is limit her then so she can't just go out into the world and do, do what she wants. And I, when we, we deal with a lot of kids who have just aged out, um, I don't think that's been their goal the whole time. I think their goal has been to be adopted. So why did you opt for this character to really be opposed to the idea so much? I wanted to tell a different story about a kid who, at a really young age, got a glimpse of what is it to have adults in control of your life. And when this child is old enough, Muriel in the story, is old enough to see that they're asking her to go. She's being moved from house to house because for whatever reason, she's, you know, this child has does not have parents and is, you know, is a child who can be adopted. Families, I, I talked to a lot of kids who spoke to that experience, kids in, in and aging out of foster care who would be yeah. in families that they thought were great. And then for uh -huh. whatever reason, the, the family would, would ask them to move on. So I thought, how interesting would it be if a kid, you know, old enough yeah. to be cognizant of that, if that clicked in her head and, and she realized that will be the last time someone tells right. me to leave the only kind of agency she can have over her life then is trying to how would she get the you know how would she get the ability to leave when she wants she has to be mm -hmm. perfect she has to be so good she has to and so she starts in a you know in a life full of inconsistency the only consistency mm -hmm. in her life at that point is inconsistency but she is in control and i thought that would be an interesting story to tell because a lot of people one of the one of the um the thing sort of a, one of the things that people think about kids in foster care is that is that a lot they're just there's like these sad little orphans just sitting there waiting oh. for the perfect family waiting to be adopted and that's not again 500,000 kids 500,000 yeah. different stories and hopefully most of them can go back to their families but yeah how interesting that would be she doesn't want to be adopted because she yeah. sees what that means and there's sometimes not good motivation for people to adopt well, and I think that sometimes. she's enlightened and able to recognize it. And so what I think the kids mm -hmm. who I have into and my son included, they are waiting for the other shoe to drop. And rather than letting it drop, they'll drop yes. it themselves. So they want control, but they yep. don't have the, uh, you know, she's already so thought it through and she's in such good shape mentally that she really, she hasn't been abused and she hasn't been neglected. She just was simply left at birth. And what you say about that, when you have family who you know and who you care about, and they all choose to say no system for whatever reason. I, the scars are so different than a little girl who was just left in a hospital lobby. And so I think that that's interesting yeah. too, but she's the same kind of thing. She's just choosing her future, which is very difficult for foster use. It is, and I wanted to introduce the sort of you know, I, I we talk a lot in the book about adults' misconceptions about kids in foster care. And I thought it was interesting to kind of, and Muriel admits that in the book, she thinks she's gonna, that getting out will be freedom and aging out will be freedom. And it's, yeah. I think she finally starts to realize that's not, 
yeah. going to be the case because aging out is terrifying. So what we great. do to these kids and tossing them out at 18, mm-hmm. you know, and I love and this, I've this read thing, this, Those things are finally changing a bit where they can stay longer. Yep. And thank God, you know, so that especially you have age, to yeah. willing to do it. But how many of the, how many former foster youth or aged out foster youth did you talk to when you're doing your research? About a dozen at varying age, not a dozen aged out, about half of them had aged out. And yeah. I talked to adults who had aged out. I talked to kids yeah. who had recently aged out. And then I talked to some like middle grade and older kids who were still currently in the system. And most of this was over email. A lot of it was anonymous through kids that I had met through tangential relationships, through Treehouse and Amara in Seattle that are that are programs like Safety Net who help family, foster families, foster kids, you know, keep things like consistency in school and their ability to take classes and lessons and stuff. And, um, but yeah, it was very generous. Yeah. I think that, um, here's, here's my other favorite part. Well, what I love so much about your book, because I love to write and I, and we're going to get to how you turned your other plays into novels. So I think that's fascinating. I, I can't do both, but you, the way you write is so right on. You nail every bit. And I was listening to the book, and I don't know who the per- is. It you that's doing the voice? Who's doing the voice in no, the book? No, it's oh. an. This is an actress. Her name is Reba Burr. She's incredible. We got to choose her from. Yeah, look at her. Look at her. She's beautiful. She's, she's amazing. Like I, she I, I, she's been amazing. in my ears for the last few days, and I love her. Oh, so Reba, I need to send this to her. We heard two words out of her mouth on a recording, and I was like, oh, that's it. She's just seamless with all of her, but but your writing is so good because I love your talk and all the little things that you nail about that age kid. And we're not that age anymore, but to be able to get into their world and talk like they do, my favorite person to hate is Nathan. Wait, I'm gonna move over here. Uh, no, okay, I'm opposite. Nathan, I hate him so much, and I love that I hate Your him. Worst. And the foster parents who sit with her and and tell her how she's been harmed from the very beginning and all of that. Just, I just um, that you write such good icky characters you know <laughs> they're just and the girls all the girls who are so mean they're really good characters i just love it love it oh that's awesome to hear <laughs> yeah so how old is your daughter now she just turned 18. okay so she's reading this book appreciating this book ah! and there she is how fun for you so i have a couple of questions from uh, that I'm just going to read right off of here because there came oh, from nice. people who are viewing. Uh, this is from Annalise, and she wants you to tell us a little bit more about your 25 years of Broadway-style music comedy experience, please. Oh, my gosh, she's so funny. This is someone I've known who I've, who I've acted with. I think, like you, I, you and I need to be best friends because we're both playwrights. Yeah. My whole life from being little and then I majored in playwriting in school um, is I think acting is just about storytelling you know playwriting and acting all of it is storytelling and I think when as I as I was acting and I acted my whole life I, I realized what I was more interested in were the were the scripts and I would just read scripts I mean scripts are meant to be acted in on a, in on a stage but I would just read oh wow <laughs> like book to try to write. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And sometimes I'd have a line and be like, 
I don't know Henry Gibson. I don't think I would have said it that way. And I try to change it. My director would be like, listen, I don't, that's not what we're doing right now. So I think I finally got over my fear and decided to try to write. You know, what's interesting, my, well, I've written, earlier in life I wrote plays, but my first most recent one, I was so afraid to audition that I wrote my own plays, so I had to be in it, because I wrote my part for myself. That's amazing. True story. I did not want to go to Spokane Civic Theater and audition in front of everybody in the lobby and have them all go talk crap afterwards, and I just thought if I make my own play, I'm in it, and they can't, they can't not hire me, so that's why I did it, and then it worked out. Okay, this is from Ron. Uh, She said, Terry Johnson, or Ron says, Terry Johnson plays an important role in a mostly silent partner. Why was he given a first and surname for his character, and no other characters were given first and surnames? We're talking about a dog. This is a dog character, Terry Johnson. This is a dog named Terry Johnson. This, I have yeah. to admit, was not a well thought out thing. This is an homage to when our daughter was three years old and we officially adopted her. We let her get a pet and we got a fish. We got a, a beta fish. And, uh-huh. you know, she was three. We, we, didn't ha- we didn't let her watch TV until then. The only thing she had started to be allowed to watch was uh, Sesame Street. So she... Uh-huh. she she said, I want to name him Terry Johnson. And we were like, okay, where did you get that name? And she would just laugh. It was kind of creepy. We were like, you don't know anybody else. You don't watch TV. Where did you get that name? And it was one of those weird kid things. Yeah. And to this day, she's like, I don't know where I got that. So I thought That's- that was hilarious. And I think it's funny when dogs names. So I know. See <laughs> the beautiful mystery of Terry Johnson. And I like that Francine just says, you know. Yeah. I think Muriel says, is he named after someone? And Francine just says, nope. Anyway, nope. what do you want for dinner? I think that's <laughs> Now, the character of Joellen, the uh, social worker, did you, yes. when you were adopting, I know we dealt with a lot of social workers, did that come from somewhere for you? Or is it just who you wanted a social worker to be for these kids? That was that character Joellen is based on our daughter's social worker whose name was also Joellen. And we were on a tight timeline with getting our study in and our registration in. And we um we met our daughter through through uh my sister who was an occupational therapist. Oh okay. And our daughter was one of her clients and it was this weird situation and and Joellen our our real social worker would tell us stories of um of how she was with some kids until the end and I Uh, thought that was incredible and she went to such lengths to stay with each kid and she did everything she could because she said you know attachment these kids are going through so much and if there's a kid who's going from placement to placement yeah I, you know, attachment is like, I, I heard this recently in another uh, social worker interview about attachment is like uh, masking tape. It, it really works the first time. The more you rip it off and try to do it again, it doesn't stick. And she always said to me, if these kids can have one person in their life that's consistent, it's going to be me. Come hell or oh. my water. And I thought that's amazing. And so I based that that character off of her. Well, it's a great character and it gives you hope. And it's also, it's such an, a thankless role that they play. And I know because we deal with the kids, they get to 18. A lot of people are done. They're not the easiest segment of our population to deal with. They've had it rough. And by the time we find them and we're going to furnish an apartment for them or do whatever we do for them, they're tough and they've yeah. got 
shell built up and, and a, uh, one of our the therapists when we adopted my son they said you know picture a foundation being built on sand instead of cement and that's basically what yep. these and 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 so there's there's trauma there and i don't they don't even know why it's traumatic they don't even know why they do the things that, you know it, it's survival and that's what they've they've really been taught um i like that her survival though is it seems to be more constructive now not that you have to be perfect you know i, I think some of the kids like to throw you off the court like they'll mess up so that you get rid of them where she would just be perfect so she would almost stay unadoptable it's like you know, because it would be easy yeah, to like it gives her exactly the better, you know, that kind of gives her the currency to, to yeah. go right to Joellen and say, you know, can you move me if, you know, it, I mean, currency is the best word I can think of. That's her, yes. the only thing she has to spend and, mm -hmm. and, and bargain with. Yeah. You know, in that, in that situation. And again, that's not, and like every book about foster care this is not the story of how it is obviously it's mm -hmm. just a story and it just started feeling a lot of books mm -hmm. about foster care a lot of them feel similar in the yelling and this kid you know yeah. it's it's yeah. destructive to try to be perfect your whole life that is traumatic it's, to try to be perfect absolutely. because like like Ariel says in the book kids that kids that are born into birth families who have the whole time they have the luxury of messing up mm -hmm. you know sure. you have sure. someone who's gonna love you know what you mess up as a kid in foster care and the adults are just well, gonna kick you out and do whatever they want and the panic the first time she really messes up with francine is so sad because it's like this is all of a sudden she just needs to get this last year she really likes this woman she likes the dog she likes the town and that she's screwed up by a couple of minutes and it you just your heart breaks for her because i mean i think you know based on what we know about francine you know she's not going to boot her out but she doesn't know that so it's so like Duh, it just breaks your heart. And she's never cared before, too. Yeah, and she's yeah. never cared before. And sometimes it's making me tear up right now because even though my kid was three, yeah. I don't know. My kid's got this thing, too, and I don't know if it's what it is, but she, she has a thing where she's real hard on herself. She's real. She has this perfectionist thing. And, and some of the kids I talk to, it's like, this is what makes me furious. They feel like they have to prove you know, some yeah. kids feel like to have to prove to everyone this isn't my fault. They shouldn't have to prove that. There, there are these misconceptions. The two main things I think that would help the general misconception and funding happen is one: kids are not in foster care because it did wrong. Nothing. They did nothing wrong. The adults in their lives, something happened. You know, right, right. that's right. They're their caregivers were unable to or unwilling to do what they're supposed to do or the government and the social services did something that they, you know, it's the adults decisions and they're not, you know, children born that are any different from anyone else. They're not inherently different or bad or whatever, you know, that. And the other thing is that when you adopt from foster care, the other misconception or the, the, the wrong thinking is that, you know, adoption is for people that want to be parents to go get a kid. That is right. not adoption. Adoption is for children who need parents. Mm -hmm. I sound so preachy when I say this, but it's for children who need parents. It's finding parents yeah. for kids who need them. This isn't about kids getting a baby. And it just, yeah. God, this narrative. There's a new, is it HBO Max? 
there's another new series that's coming out or on Apple. No, it's Apple Plus about this uh -huh. white couple. And they're like, oh, looking at a screen full of pictures of kids. Oh, we're trying to pick the right one. I'm like, these are not commodities. You know, this no. is not a litter of puppies. These are human. And by the way, don't do that to puppies either. But, you know, these are yeah. human beings. <laughs> and they're treated like, oh, I have this dream of being a mom. I have to get a kid. Yeah. That is not... Yeah, it makes well, me so angry. And if people would stop I will speaking tell that you, way. I will tell you firsthand that if you go in with that attitude and you bring them home, your very first night together, you're going to be sorely disappointed because they are not that. They are not, you know, there's they are, they are surviving. They're not going to go, oh, sir, thank you so much for adopting. They're not going to do that. They're not, I mean. Uh, they're that's not, that is not their job. It, it, it's absolutely not. Their gratitude is going to come out in weird ways. They're not going to naturally just be so happy that they're not in foster care anymore. They're going to be lonely because they don't have all those kids around them. All of a sudden, they're going to have their own room. Yeah. All of the attention is on them. It's very daunting for them. And I don't think we, I and certainly weird it that way. Yeah. And it's a weird thing, too, that there is always this, uh, it makes me so sick, where it's always like, and you probably got this, too, there's always this thing of, Oh, you're a foster parent. That's so wonderful. You're so great. This implication that they're this, there's this terrible burden and aren't you nice? Like, what do you think right. the kids think when they hear that? And there's this weird thing that any kid who is in a decent foster home, oh my God, they owe this never ending debt of gratitude for what? For having their basic needs met? For having the right. bare minimum of an adult doing their job in life? I'm supposed to just genuflect for the rest of it? No, like give these kids a break. That's not, they are owed. And I always say this, they're not, they're not lucky. They're entitled. And I think yeah. even, I think Francine says that in the book, you're not lucky to have one decent person taking care of you. Every human born is entitled to at least one half decent adult. You can't survive yeah. as a child alone. You need adults. And why do they have to be so grateful for just, it drives me crazy. Yeah. Oh my God, well, there's too much put on them. It's not their fault. So unfortunately, the way our system is set up is that they have then, um, in turn, the kids are entitled, but what happens is it becomes a financial title. I want my check. I want my stuff. I want my, and it's not out of anything other than I need to survive. I don't, especially when they're mm -hmm. aging out. My, my foster parents used to get that check. Now I need that check. How am I going to eat? And, you know, we have to really check ourselves with safety net stuff and like, okay, this attitude, this attitude. It's like, wait, let's just see where they're coming from. They are panicked. They are used to having to, you know, work the system and manipulate a little bit because they have had to. And because you're right, they should have yeah. had somebody looking out for them and they didn't. And it's it's not their to fault. Survive. Yeah. But okay, and the so statistics are grim. They're very grim. And, you know, we've been so happy here in Spokane. It's made a real difference because we have wonderful social workers here. We've been able to make it. We're a small enough town that we can make a difference, you know, for the kids. But um, awesome. I want to get to something before we have to sign off here. I want to ask you, yeah. uh, is there are there any movie interests like anybody? I could see this as a movie or I could see it as a, a, a mini series of some sort. What do you think? Oh, my gosh. I would love that. I can totally see it. It would be cheap to film. Come on, just get on an island. My agent yeah. is is shopping it for film rights. I mean, in these COVID times when Netflix is like handing yeah. out things to left, <laughs> I think yeah. I think it would be great. I think it would be great. What I would wish is that it could be handed 
to a screenwriter and and to someone who could make changes to a producer, a writer, a director, of mm-hmm. uh, someone who is black, someone who is BIPOC, and and rewrite the story from from a perspective of of you know there's enough white people on TV, and I wrote about a white character because I'm white. I'm gonna yeah. Stand a good basis for just a story of that would be they would translate to more yeah well and i i think it, it could this be book's audience anybody it, you could make any of your characters any from any background it, it wouldn't matter i mean yes the way you wrote it and the way you describe people it is but but it easily could be adapted to that and i mean who do you yeah see? and i just think it's important oh go ahead sorry i was just gonna say i, was, I think it's it's so important to see and I talk a little bit about it in the book, but, and you and I know this, like white kids have a totally different experience in foster care than black yes. kids do, you know, than, than indigenous kids do. And it's a, it's a crappy disparity and it's a beautiful, hopeful story. And I think it would be, it would be such a fortunate thing to, to be able to sell it for that. And I don't, yeah. God, maybe I'm not up on actors or anything, but I, <laughs> I never can think for the for the for the people i don't know like, what's her name uh, um the person that did the narration not what's her name oh god i'm just so frazzled yeah. being on a the gal <laughs> who did the reba burr she'd be great for her she's uh yeah, i just reba burr, she's I was, a beautiful actress i just there thought she is. She oh she's amazing she she did every voice right yeah she is yeah. amazing she's a she's a true actress and a voice talent, and she's remarkable. I want her to. But... She she's so. Um, we have to say, Wishing Tree Books is the one who brought this. We, thank you, Wishing Tree Books. We're so excited, thank and you go and buy the book, but then also buy the audio because the audio is fantastic. And if you have a young person in your life, there's a couple of f words, nothing you know, too bad. But I think. To listen and to uh, to be able to interact with a young person who, especially, it has not had any experience with the foster care system, I think this would open their eyes in a very entertaining way. I think it would be a great thing for for uh, young people in your life. So, I mean, go out and buy it and make a movie. I want to see it. I want to see it as a series or a movie or something. I know, me too. Yeah, that makes me so happy because if if young kids would you know they're told these mis these misperceptions by adults in their lives and i think if kids knew the truth you know they're the ones that are often bullying kids that are in foster care and making their lives hell and so if younger kids understood the truth it would make kids in foster care would make their lives a lot easier switching schools and stuff and maybe if kids were nicer it wouldn't be so bad Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I um, am. I just want to be your friend forever now because I think we have so many. I want to be your friend forever. (laughs) We need to get together. We need to talk. We both write. We do the foster. Anyway, um, but anything else that I didn't get to that you want to mention before we go? Just that I think you should plug your amazing safety net and that people can donate to that and that there's in Seattle, like I said, um, our version of your amazing you know, organization is Treehouse. And if people yeah. want to know more about, about Safety Net or about Treehouse or about Amara Foster Services anywhere in the Pacific Northwest, look those up online. And there's not everyone, you know, there's this added, not everyone can be a foster parent, but there are a million ways to 
help support yeah. kids in foster care because they deserve it and they're yes. entitled to it and they need it. And they are glorious human beings and they deserve all the respect and love in the world. Absolutely. Amen. I, that is uh, well said. And, and, and I hope everyone takes that to heart and it was so nice to meet you and thank you for taking so time nice to meet you. Good luck with your book and with your, everything that you do. And, um, and so we'll sign up. Oh, there's going to be a raffle now. Christy's going to take over and do a raffle, but we <gasps> will say, we will wish you a, a good evening and thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. Thank you so much, Molly. Thank you very much for coming and watching this. And yes, safety note is still right there. Uh, if you have not purchased your book from Wishing Tree, I have two copies of what I carry here to auction off in our famous, Spokane famous anyway, raffle for Northwest Passages. We are incredibly grateful for Janelle Smith at Wishing Tree Books for even suggesting this book. As soon as she read it, she said, we need to get these guys here. Uh, I was uh, fortunate that, uh, you know, Molly Allen was available to be her new BFF with Jen Longo. It's just all sorts of magic happening here with foster parents. So uh, without further ado, Jesse, can you spin the wheel of names? I would love it, Amy, if you would send me an email at bookclub at spokesman.com and let me know what you enjoyed about tonight's performance of or event here this evening. Uh, Jesse, we have two copies, so spin again. I look forward to getting an email from you at bookclub at spokesman.com. Tell me your favorite part about tonight, uh, aside from winning a copy of what I carry. Uh, the Northwest Passages Community Forum has an event tomorrow evening, early evening. Miles Kennedy will be joining our uh, features writer, Ed Cochran. We're so excited about Ed talking to Miles Kennedy live on the live stream. Uh, and then we have another event coming up with book club oriented, uh, Kate Lebo and the book of difficult fruit. For updates on everything that's going on, spokesman.com forward slash Northwest Passages. Until then, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks again to Wishing Tree Books, Jen Longo and Molly Allen. We so appreciate your insight tonight and we'll see you next time. <laughs>